that, that's age, right? I guess that's what happens is time flies by. <laughs> we have been looking at the sto- stories that Jesus has been telling about the kingdom. Uh, in, in Matthew 21, there were two stories that he told, a story about two sons and a story about these uh, farmer tenants who had uh, been on, their, on the owner's land and needed to provide fruit back to uh, the owner. And, and though in our copies of God's word, there is this big chapter 22 in the way, uh, you will notice there's really not a break there because there's, the first word is and, and he said yet another parable. So our context is, is important to keep in mind uh, that you have the religious leaders who are uh, rejecting Jesus' authority. In chapter 21, Jesus has gone into the temple. He's cleansed the temple and he is teaching them in regards to the judgment that is coming. And the leaders have challenged him, by what authority are you doing these things? And so Jesus is telling these parables then to communicate that message. And this third story that Jesus tells is truly an amazing one as it pictures why these authorities, these religious leaders are excluded from the kingdom of God and as well as going to give a surprise about who does belong to the kingdom of God. So that's what we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 22. You will notice in the first two verses that we are told that there is a king who gives a wedding feast for his son. This is a story in trying to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And here Jesus says, I want you to consider that the kingdom of heaven is like this king who is giving a wedding and a wedding feast for his son. Now, it's easy to read by that, but you need to visualize what this offer is for a moment because you might have been to some pretty fancy weddings and you might have been to some pretty big bashes where there was a lot of people and maybe a lot of food and it seemed like, you know, no expense was held back. But please visualize what a wedding and feast would be like If a king was throwing it for his son, this is a serious, serious wedding feast. (laughs) This is no thing is held back at all. It would be immense. It would be glorious. It would be luxurious. It would be far beyond what any of us would ever be able to envision of what kind of gathering this would be what kind of celebration it would be. And friends, please keep in mind what kind of honor it would be to be invited by the king to the son's wedding. This is a high honor. And you would be able to enjoy what you have never been able to enjoy in your life in terms of celebration, in terms of eating, in terms of being around people of great authority and honor. And you're invited to that. That's how Jesus sets up this story. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who is throwing a wedding feast for his son. And in verse 3, we are told that now the servants go and they are going to those who were invited and tell them it's time. The food is ready. The table is set. We are ready for the celebration, for the wedding and for the meal. You need to go ahead and come. And and the implication of verse 3 when it says 
he sent his servants to call those who were invited, gives the essence that the invitations had already been sent out. The people who had been given the honor to go to this wedding have sent back the RSVP. Yep, we're coming. And now the servants go out and say, all right, it's time. The king is ready. You can imagine the palace is open. The meal is set. The table's prepared. It's time to come and enjoy this amazing celebration. And you'll notice in verse 3, it says, and they would not come. Now, in thinking about this scene, you might start thinking about, well, what a neat image about having this wedding feast. But the scriptures in the prophets in particular often would describe that when the messianic age began, when Christ came, it was going to be like a wedding and a wedding feast. And so as Jesus starts telling this, you are not only supposed to imagine the immensity of this wedding and feast, but also feel the weight of there is a messianic idea in this about the king and his son and what a great offer to be able to go and be a part of this. And yet the first response that is given to us in verse three is that they refuse to come. That's kind of hard to believe. You, you have been invited to the greatest of honors. And you have been invited to the greatest of celebrations that you could possibly imagine. And you have been invited to the greatest of feasts. And when the time comes to say, all right, it is all on the table. All you need to do is come on in. It says they refused. You can note that the king is stunned by this in verse 4. He again sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calves have all been slaughtered and everything is ready. The, the, the 20 course meal is ready to go. It's all on the table. All you need to do is come. It's almost like he seems to think they must have misunderstood. Tell them again. Make, make sure they understand See, I have prepared the dinner. Everything is ready. And notice in verse 5 it says, They paid no attention. And notice what they would rather do. Rather than going to the great feast of honor and immense riches and glory, it says they went to their own businesses, their own farms. They're more concerned about their own things. They're going to miss out on the greatest celebration that you could possibly invite, be invited to because they had to take care of some things around the house. You know, we had to rearrange our sock drawer this weekend and couldn't be bothered by the greatest wedding feast imaginable. Drawers need to be rearranged. You take care of some dusting. But not only that, as bad as verse 5 is, that some paid no attention and went off to their own farm and their own business, and they're more busy doing their own things. Notice verse 6. And the rest seized the slaves, mistreated them shamefully, and killed them. 
You, you were invited to the greatest of honors. And some don't respond. Some pay no attention. Some are going to be more busy with the sock drawer. And some have the audacity to mistreat the servants and kill them. Well, as you can imagine, verse 7, the king didn't take that lightly. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Up to this point, the, the parable is, is very clear because Jesus keeps telling parables like this up to this point. He keeps telling stories about how God has sent servants, messengers, prophets to try to tell his people to come on in and enjoy the messianic age because the time has come. And rather than Israel coming in and enjoying what has been promised, they've been killing the prophets and God has sent more prophets and they mistreated and killed them too. And remember what we saw in the last parable in chapter 21, where the king says, surely they will respect my son. And they killed him too. And you will notice the same framework is happening to this story again. Here is this great wedding and this great feast and this great offer and this great honor. And they're unwilling to come into the very thing that they've been invited to the great honor. And so judgment must fall. There must be justice for mistreating and killing the servants and rejecting the great offer. And that's what verse 7 describes. But I want you to notice with this story, that's not where Jesus ends it. The message is not, and so therefore Israel needs to be judged because they killed the prophets. But rather there's a little bit more to it. Notice in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. I'm going to stop first to think about that for a minute. Before he changes course here, he has an important statement to make to his servants. He tells his servants, everything is prepared. You can almost envision it. You can imagine the meal's going cold at this point. It's all been put out there. It's all ready. We're ready to roll out with this great celebration. And they all refuse to come. And notice what is deemed about that. The king tells the servants about those who were invited They were not worthy. Now, in the story that Jesus is telling, I want you to answer this question in your mind. Why were they unworthy? What makes them unworthy now of the invitation? What makes them unworthy of this wedding feast? Why are they deemed this way? And it's a very obvious answer. They just rejected the invitation because they refused what was being offered to them. They are deemed as unworthy. And the reason why that is important is because what this is ultimately saying is, is that they didn't value the offer. The only reason you would refuse an invitation like this is that you don't value what's being told to you. You don't value the invitation as immense and amazing and glorious and rich that this invitation would be to his wedding and wedding feast. They looked at it and went, 
Uh, I'd rather stay home. <laughs> yeah, I know that we're going to have 20 courses of food, but uh, I'd rather stay home. Yeah, I know it's going to be amazing to be around these special people, but uh, there's probably something good on TV tonight. Uh, they don't value it. They don't see the immense worth of what the invitation holds. And that's why they're deemed unworthy. You don't value what you've been invited to. And so notice what the king does in verse 9. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. You have to love it. Everything's ready. The doors are open. We've made all these preparations. And those who are invited did not value it. They are not worthy of this because they don't care. And so since that's the case, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to go up and down the sidewalks and just start grabbing people. I just want you to tell them the king is having a wedding feast and you can come on in. It's all ready. Everything is all set. No, no, don't worry about cost or anything like that. Just come on in. Everything's prepared. No, he said it's good. You can come on in. And so they go into the streets and they're walking down up on the sidewalks and they're telling everybody it's time to come on in to the feast. And I want you to notice what happens in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, and those servants went into the roads and they gathered all whom they found. And I want you to underscore what's said right here. Both good and bad. And verse 10 concludes with, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Are you surprised by that? Did that one catch you off guard? That the message was not go into the streets and find all the good people. (laughs) Here's, Here's the quiz. 25 questions to see if they're righteous or not. And if they pass, they can come on it. No, that's not what happens. The invitation, friends, is not merely to go out into the righteous. The invitation is literally to everybody, both good and bad. Friends, there is no one excluded from this invitation. It is amazing that he just says the doors are open. Just get them. Just get people. I I don't care. I don't need background checks. I don't need brownie stars of righteousness. Just get people in here, both good and bad. And verse 10 says, they just filled this wedding hall up with all kinds of people. And friends, I want to underscore this before we move on. No one can say that they're not invited to this great wedding feast no one can say well you know I'm not good enough no one can say well you know a lot of bad things in my life I want you to see the invitation goes to the bad and the good equally there is no prerequisite here of well you know I don't know that you should come everybody is invited And there's not a single individual that is not invited to this glorious wedding feast 
that the king is throwing for his son. But there is a little bit more to the story. As much as you say, all right, throw the period there, high fives, everybody's in, all right. Hold on. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. What an interesting ending. Well, what a curious turn of events that here we have go into the streets, get everybody in here bad and good. I don't care. Throw them into this wedding. We want people here for the celebration. And then the king comes and he looks around and it turns out there is this individual and there's a problem because the individual does not have wedding clothes. And the problem is so severe that what the king then says is bind him hand and foot, cast him into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the intensity of the story has to make us ask, well, what are the wedding clothes? (laughs) What just happened here that you threw everybody in the building, but now here is this one person without wedding clothes. And he says, you're out, get him out of here, throw him into the darkness where there's going to be pain and suffering, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Well, friends, what are the wedding clothes? What just happened here in this moment? Well, I think, again, our context is important. Because, again, though there's a big 22 standing in the way on your page of God's word, this is connected to the prior stories that Jesus just told. His first story of these three stories was about two sons. And remember with the story of the two sons, there was one son who said, I will go, but did not go. And there was another son who said, I will not go. And the text plainly says, but then he changed his mind and went and did the father's will. And so in that story, the emphasis is not on the person who says, I will go, but the emphasis is on the person who changed their mind and ended up going and doing the will of the father after all. In the second story that happens at the end of chapter 21, he tells a parable about these tenants. And remember, the master sends servants. And what is he looking for? He is looking for his servants to give fruit. And remember, since they fail to give fruit, the text says that the kingdom is going to be given or the vineyard's going to be given to a people who bear fruit. What are the wedding clothes? The wedding clothes then are a symbol of the individual changing his mind from rejecting the will of the father to doing the will of the father and bearing fruit as he's been called to bear. Now, here's why I think that is particularly important to the story. 
we just noted and highlighted and emphasized, and I tried to underscore and lather up the whole point about how the bad and the good are invited into the wedding feast. And the problem is not if you are righteous or not. The problem is that the man is without wedding clothes, that the man refused to change. The invitation to this glorious wedding feast did not cause this man to rethink his life and change his ways. He just walked in with the same filthy clothes he had in the first place. He's invited to the greatest event you could possibly be invited to. And he goes in wearing the same dirty clothes he was already wearing. Friends, the picture is that the good and the bad are all invited and no one is excluded from this great invitation of the wedding feast. But you are expected to change your clothes. You are expected to change your clothes. And everybody else in the wedding hall did. But this man did not. And friends, I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul used that kind of image over and over and over again to depict the new life that we find in Christ. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 22, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self corrupted and deluded by its lust, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with a new self created according to the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Notice the imagery of new clothes is used by the Apostle Paul. You were told to get rid of the old filthy clothes which represent the old way of life and put on new clothes, a way of righteousness in the likeness of God and following in him. Similarly to the Colossians, he said, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have been have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. Same idea stated again. Get rid of the old self, put off the old clothes and all of its practices. And come in and enjoy this, the new self that is being renewed in the knowledge of God. These new clothes that are being given to you. Just a few verses later. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting in his story? That the king is absolutely insulted when we wouldn't bother to change our clothes for this great wedding feast. He's not saying, okay, you got to like, Live up and have pursuit. No, but are you willing to change? Are you willing to put off the old ways? Are you willing to put off the old self? Are you ready to get rid of the things that were dirty in your life and filthy that stained 
and put on the new clothes. And this is the picture that's being given to us. Friends, we have been given this amazing invitation. Can we at least change our clothes? You've been invited to the greatest of all feasts. I set before you an image in the physical about a great king offering a great wedding invitation for his son and imagining the immensity and glory of that. Now just take that and please amplify that the king is the father of heaven and earth, ruler of all things, creator of all things, and he is throwing a wedding party, celebration, and feast Because his son, Lord Savior Jesus Christ, is now going to be joined to his body, to his bride. How big of an invitation do you think that is? And how glorious of a celebration do you think that's going to be? And it wasn't the problem of if we're bad or good. The problem is... Will we be bothered to change our clothes? Are we willing to change at all? Which is why the ending is given about many are called, but few are chosen. It is amazing to think that those who refuse to change are described in this consequence. They're found in verse 13. And it is amazing to me also that Jesus is the one who talks the most about describing what it will be like to not belong to this kingdom and to not enjoy the invitation that has been offered to us. You know, here is God trying to use physical means to communicate something just like we talked about in our bible study this morning in the book of revelation that god trying to use physical things to try to describe paradise and eternity with god and he's using images because how do you communicate such spiritual glory to those who are of the physical realm it is hard to do and in the same way how do you communicate eternity separated from god how do you try to communicate that to those who are of the flesh like us And so he uses a couple of images over and over again. He used the same ones back in Matthew chapter 13. He uses them here now. Cast into outer darkness. Have you ever been somewhere that is so dark that you are alone and it's terrifying? Uh, (laughs) If you've ever tried coming to the, the building, like if you forget something really late at night and come back into this building like at 11 o'clock at night, this building's terrifying. <laughs> it is really, really dark. <laughs> and you think, oh, I don't need to turn on the lights. I'm just coming in real quick to grab something. Outer, complete darkness, it kind of makes you jump. And you're kind of like this. You're trying to communicate something here by saying, do you understand an eternity in just complete outer darkness alone? How, how terrifying that is. And if that's not terrifying enough, the rest of the imagery that he uses, do you understand the anguish that exists in being separated from God? There's no way to communicate that. How do you communicate to us how painful it is to be separated from our creator? Except just to say, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's just going to be awful. This is not an invitation 
you want to reject. You don't understand how awful it will be. So here is this contrast of, of, do you see the the glory of what you are being invited into and how immense it is, how luxurious it is, how glorious it is? And do you understand how awful it will be to not be a part of it? How bad that's going to be? How do you try to communicate to people like us the severity of what life will be like without God? Here's one that I try to use. I think it aligns with what Jesus is saying. If you think life can be hard and painful and terrible now, this is a world with God. So imagine it without. That's what eternity is in rejecting the invitation. As bad as things can be now, God is ruling and has his hand in this world. Imagine a place where God is not. So what's he trying to tell us? There were a lot of people in this list that were excluded. One, those who were excluded were those who paid no attention to the invitation. That was in verse three. They didn't care. Invitation goes out. Hey, everybody, it's ready. Great time that you can enjoy being with the king. And they didn't pay attention to the invitation. Just didn't care. And unfortunately, that's an easy category to fall into. To hear what God has to offer, to shrug your shoulders and go, meh. Whatever. Doesn't matter. I don't care. And right along with it, It's described in verses five and six as the people who simply were more concerned about the things of this world than the ways of God. They would rather go to their own farm and their own business than go here and enjoy the invitation. And that's easy for us to fall into as a category as well. To be so caught up in the ways of this world and the concerns of this life and the hubbub of Monday through Friday. And we all get it. Schedules are crazy. Life gets crazy. And here is this amazing invitation that's being given to each one of us that we can enjoy glory in the kingdom of God. And we go, you know, well, you know, there's something pretty neat on Netflix. Uh, Well, you know, I've, I've got some things I need to take care of. I've got career goals. I've got life goals. I've got other things I want to do. And you're missing out on this amazing invitation just as much as we read this and went, how could you possibly turn away from such a glorious invitation for the silly things that you would have in your own life that they said that they would do their farm and their business? We so easily do the same. And we don't value what God has in store for us enough. And third... Jesus then speaks of this individual. And I need to spend one quick minute here with him. Because I want you to note, he accepted the invitation and went into the wedding hall. You can imagine he thought he was good, right? Servants have gone into the streets. Everybody come in, bad and good. Awesome, can't wait to get in. He comes in, he thinks he's fine. He's part of the the, the wedding celebration. But he hadn't changed. And that was not sufficient. 
Though he had accepted the invitation and he went in, there was a problem. He was not properly clothed. And friends, we have to see how often God tries to tell us that, yes, my gift of salvation is free and amazing and glorious and wonderful. But there is an obligation. And what does repentance mean except change? Turn. It's a fancy word that we don't really use, but all it means is I'm calling for you to turn. That's all I'm asking for you to do is change. And this is what Peter even said. Look, the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. He's not wishing that any would perish. Can I use the word that Jesus described? But that all should change. I just want you to change. I want you to put off those old clothes. And I want you to put on new clothes. It's all I'm asking for. I want you to take that old life. And I want you to put it to death. And I want you to live a new life. In light of the glorious invitation that you've accepted. It's not enough to just say, well, I believe in God. It's not enough just to simply pray to him or say some kind of words to him. There is an expectation of change that God wants. And the question is simply for you this morning. Will you change your clothes? You've been invited to the wedding feast thrown by the king. To participate in the glorious celebration of all eternity. And you are not excluded from that invitation. You have been specifically invited. And there is nothing excluding you from that. Except being unwilling to change your clothes. And we pray that you'll choose to change and follow your Lord this very day. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we read a story like this and are just amazed at how much you desire for your creation to be with you. And that you would invite every single person, regardless of what we've done, regardless of our background, regardless of who we are, regardless of the sins that we've committed, that you invite every single one in. Lord, you are an amazing God, and we thank you. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you would invite people like us who have stood against you, rebelled against you, that have ignored your invitation, have decided that things of the world are better, and yet you still call for us to come. And Lord, I pray that the weight of your invitation would be so strong in our lives that it would motivate us to change. Lord, help us to see the things that we have been unwilling to change in our hearts and in our lives and make today the day of change. Lord, give us hearts of repentance to turn away from those temptations, from those weaknesses and those sins that keep affecting us and afflicting us day after day after day. Lord, strengthen us today. Strengthen our hearts. And give us a greater faith, Lord, so that we can serve you faithfully. Lord, help us to put on the new clothes that you're offering to us so that we can enjoy the great wedding that you have promised for us if we will simply turn to you. Lord, help us in this effort. Lord, our hearts love you and seek you. 
And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for when we have refused to change. And make us bolder and stronger to make those changes now before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen. I left out one other passage intentionally about clothing that we'll end with this morning. It is interesting that the Apostle Paul wants you to know when you get your clothes. Galatians 3, verse 25. But now faith has come and we're no longer subject to the disciplinarian for in Christ you all are children of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You want to get your clothes? God will give them to you if you'll make the decision to turn away from your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, and continue to keep those clean clothes going. One of the great things God says is, I'll keep forgiving you if you keep confessing me. Keep turning to me with all of your heart. Keep being sorrowful about sin. I'll keep giving you the clean clothes. He wants you to be with him. Can we help you do that? I want you to come while we stand and while we sing.